Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Good morning, church. I have the privilege of being able to read the scripture to you this morning. The uh, scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 25 to 33. And Jesus is talking about worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, as Tony uh, mentioned to us at the beginning of the service today, we're in a series on wisdom, on what it means to actually uh, make wise decisions. And the premise we've been sort of peeling the layers on in the last couple of weeks is just that wisdom is really uh, the ability to do the right thing in the 80% of decisions where the moral rules don't apply. What we said is, look, there's a bunch of decisions you need to make, and those are right and wrong decisions. And usually we know what that is. And in fact, God has revealed that to us in his written word. And so we just need to pray. We don't need to pray about whether we should do what's right. We just need to pray for the courage to do it. But that most of the decisions we have to make in life are not right or wrong decisions, but they require wisdom. And wisdom is knowing what to do or how to choose best in those 80% of the decisions. And so we uh, have spent the first four weeks just kind of unwrapping that idea. I know some of you are like, come on, like, just get to it. Just tell me the wisdom, like, give us the card, give us the notes. And we said, if we did that, you know it wasn't true. It wasn't wisdom because it's not that easy. Life is not that simple. But we did say, look, we're going to turn the corner in the last three weeks and try to get to some more practical applications of this Is saying, okay, how do you actually make wise decisions in the area of this, in the area of time or whatever? And so we're doing that today. And so one of the things we wanted to incorporate into the message is just a Q&R time, not Q&A, Q&R, question, response, because my response might be, I don't know, that's a good question. But there will be a response, whatever it is. I've never uh, met a met a conversation that I didn't have words for. So um, we're going to do some Q&R at the end of this. So Pastor Tony, that's his cell phone. He, he, like, he very generously puts his number on the screen. Do not abuse it. Do not text him weird things during the service, just questions you have. And like I always say, if I see you on your phones, I'll assume that's what you're doing, that you're, you're texting in questions. So as this comes up, you may want to punch in your phone right now because as I'm talking throughout the message, you may be like, oh, what about this? What about that? You didn't say or that didn't make sense or I disagree. Can you explain that more? You can just text those in and we're going to take a little bit of 10 minutes at the, at the end of the 
message just to have some, some Q&R. Of course, you can do that at the end as well. Um, and, and as we turn the page on this and we get to this matter of wisdom, we say when it comes to actually making wise decisions, it's about time. It's about time. We are living in one of the most unique times in history when it comes to the matter of time. And the reason for that is, as you well know, we are in the middle of the technological revolution. That technology is rapidly changing and has rapidly changed our culture. And one of the greatest things that technology has done for us, perhaps you know, one of the basic definitions of it, it has made certain tasks and activities um, easier to do or quicker to do. Like we can do certain things in less time than it used to take. Any kind of industry or development or revolution sort of allows us to do that, allows us to leap forward. And technology has and continues to allow us to do things much quicker than we used to be able to do them or to do things we were never able to do before. And so this is great on many levels, right? The problem is this, is that one thing that has not changed that will never be revolutionized in the history of the world is the amount of hours there are in a day. And in a sense, the finite nature of human beings. We talk about things like having more capacity and whatever, but in a sense, the human body is pretty much the same. We know more about it than we used to know, but the bodies are the same and the amount of time in a day is the same. The sun, is one of the, to me, it's one of the greatest proofs that there is order and not chaos in the universe is the sun sets and rises on the same schedule every year in every part of the world. We can set our watches to it. Like the whole mystery of time unfolds all the time, but it has never changed. And so what's happened is this. Your expectations for yourself in terms of what you think you should be able to get done in a day have increased. Because your family's expectations of what, you think, of what they think you should be able to get done in a day have increased. Your employer's expectations of what they think you can get done in a day have increased. The stock market's expectation of what can happen in a day and a week and a year have increased. Every, all of the expectations along with technology have skyrocketed, but time has remained the same. And so what that means is we are a culture that is busier than ever before. And not just in terms of minutes, but we live in a way that we constantly feel busy. We feel as if I just don't have enough time in the day to get done what I need to get done or what is expected of me or what other people are asking for me. There's this expectation that has grown and grown and we are the same. And so when we talk about this idea of busyness, we're not just talking about calendars and scheduling. And really, I'm one of the worst people to be talking to you about this. I mean, I never quite feel like I've sort of mastered anything that I'm speaking about, but certainly on this one, uh, like, if you look at our Google Calendar, it is the full spectrum of the rainbow. Like, there are so many things. Uh, the, the speech that I got from my parents from the time I was eight years old, they're not here today, but I'm telling tales out of school, we laugh about this now, is you are burning the candle at both ends. They would, they would tell me this, like, it was probably once a week, to which I was like, hey, Neil Young said it's better to burn out than fade away. I didn't say that out loud. I said it under my breath. That would be disrespectful, okay, to quote rock and roll lyrics to your parents while they're giving you a lecture. But truthfully, I was like, badge of honor. 
burning the candle at both ends. That sounds awesome. I didn't know that's what it called, was called, but that's why I like my life so much. Like, this is what, I was like, what's wrong with that? Like, yeah, you know, Bon Jovi, I can sleep when I'm dead, right? I just took, quoted two amazing artists for you there, okay? You know, young Bon Jovi. I can sleep when I'm dead. Like, I, I, I was a badge of honor for me. Just, I like the fact that I felt like I can do everything. I can get it done. It's not a problem. And this is actually what I would say to them. I'm fine. I can get it all done. Well, then I moved to a phase of life as I sort of grew up and where I realized, like, um, you know, I can't get it all done, but I'm still trying. Like, I haven't really adjusted my expectations for myself, but I've just maybe a little more honest going, okay, I can't get it all done, but I'm still going to try. And so this issue of busyness, I feel as like a, a, a curse, a disease in my own life that I'm just trying to wrestle through. So please understand, I'm not speaking to you about this from a place of mastery, <laughs> Uh, but just uh, maybe we're going to commiserate for the next little while together and just um, share with you the journey that God has me on in this, um, in this process. And as my wife and I and our families, we work this out in our everyday lives. So this is an issue of time, this whole issue of wisdom. And it's interesting because when we think about um, wasting time, we can think of lazy activities as wasting time. Right? Like we can, it's easy to see a, a lazy life or a lazy person or a lazy weekend that you did and you go, well, I kind of wasted time. But busyness also can be wasting time. Like we actually think somehow unquestioned, I heard one person who was a recent immigrant to the country sort of jokingly said, I thought everyone's name was busy because when you meet someone, they say, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm busy, right? Like that was their nickname or something. Like there's this thing, it is still very much kind of a badge of honor. Like you wouldn't say to someone, oh, I'm not busy at all. What did you do this weekend? Nothing. How's your life? What's well, not very full? You know, like you would, and if you felt that, you wouldn't say it out loud because somehow a full life is a good life. Like we've just, we've just equated those two things. But that's not necessarily true because all of us, even as I'm talking, you're sitting here going, yeah, I have a full life. And I, to be honest, I'm not sure whether I like it all the time. And it's quite, it's actually possible to live a very wasteful life even if you're really busy because you don't have the time to stop and think about whether you're wasting it or not. And in fact, sometimes the busier you are, the faster life is going by. And we think, oh my gosh, gosh, where did the years go by? We're not stopping long enough to know, am I even spending time properly? And so if we are busy, we have to stop and go, man, I might be actually wasting loads of time, even though I feel like I don't have any time. Which is why we need God to speak into this area of our lives. It's also why we're very reluctant to let him speak into this area of our lives, probably because we feel like he's just going to scold us about it. And so let's just, you know, we sung about his love never fails, his grace, like he loves us, right? So let's just take it down. <laughs> you know, let's take the panic down and go, okay, I do actually need to let you in because I don't know totally how to order my life. And so if you are the one that has actually ordered the entire universe and you've made it move so beautifully, day in, day out, season in, season out, if you're actually the one that put the limits on time, okay, maybe I need to let you into my Google Calendar a little bit. Maybe I need to let you into under the hood of how I run my life and speak to me. And so Jesus, probably one of the most important things he ever said about time. It's one of the, I think I've preached on this passage many times over the years because it's one of the most significant things he said. It falls kind of within this section of scripture that's called the Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard that before. Um, it's a long sermon. Like, you think, God, we preach for a long time. This was a long sermon. Uh, no, but he, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what is it like to live life with God. And, of course, he goes right for the jugular. He talks about time. Now, it's a passage at first glance on worry. He says this, Therefore I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. And, and stop for a moment here. Some of the people he'd be talking to would literally have reason to worry about their lives and what they were going to wear. And his disciples had left their jobs. They were traveling with him. They didn't know where they were going to sleep tomorrow. They didn't know where they were going to get their next meal. So there would have been people like that, but there would have been wealthy people in the midst too. And he's saying to them, hey, listen. So he uses this idea of food, shelter, and clothing, and we kind of use that language, as not just those things in themselves, but he's kind of saying life, the stuff of life, right? Food, shelter, and clothing. And if you think about it, right, in your life, how much time is taken up with food, shelter, and clothing? And I don't even mean just the basics, just life. Like part of the reason we work so hard in our jobs is so we can buy nice food and wear nice clothes and have good shelter and maybe two shelters or a shelter we at least borrow for a week or something like that, right? Like this is the stuff of life. And look what he says. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothes? He was saying to them, listen, there is more to life than what you are living. The busyness of life, you actually know deep down that part of the reason it's so busy is because you're looking for more. You are looking for more than just, and you've often maybe stopped, even out loud or maybe in your head and said, is there more to life than this? Just this day in, day out, and actually saying, you know there is. That's in fact why you're running after these things. That's in fact part of what explains your busyness is you are looking for more. You are adding more things. You are pulling more things into your schedule. Think maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's this thing. There must be more. Man, Jesus knew so much about life. He said, isn't life more than food? And he says, look at the birds of the air. And, you know, Jesus, would not, he's not like a naturalist or whatever, like, uh, what, is, what is his name? David Suzuki sitting around. He's just saying, look, listen, pay attention. You are part of creation, right? And God has this way of looking after all of creation, including you. He says this verse later on in verse 32. Don't worry about what you shall eat or what shall we drink, for the pagans run after all these things. And we're like, pagans, what's pagans? Like, does he mean the sinners? The word pagan just simply means people who live as if there's no God. And he said, look, you have all this stuff that you need in life, the stuff of life. But if you forget that there is a God, he said, look at this is what that life looks like. He says, don't be like the pagans who run after all these things. And it's this picture, the word run, the Greek word he uses is this idea of striving or seeking after or yearning. He says, listen, if there, it's possible to live in such a way that you don't take God into account in your daily life. And if you do, you will be running after all of these things, striving, grasping, longing for stuff. He said, that's what explains the frantic busyness of most people's lives. They have forgotten that there is a God who actually is looking after all these things. So he, when he's saying, don't be like the pagans, he said, look at this life. The frantic, busy, running back and forth, striving, longing for stuff is a life that is marked by someone who doesn't believe or has forgotten that there is a God in heaven who is actually looking after these things. And as he begins to teach them, we realize this isn't just about worry, it's about time, and it's actually about priorities. Because he says, look, he doesn't say, look at the pagans, they're running after all these evil things. What does he say? Your heavenly father knows you need them. The stuff of life, 
God knows you need it. Now, there's a, we could get into a long conversation about needs and wants, but let's just sort of strip it down for a moment and say, look, the stuff that we are saying, man, I need this and I need a job and I need to figure out and if I don't work properly, I'm not going to keep this and how we got to eat healthy and like got to make this work and make ends meet. And, and God says, look, you're running after all these things, not because you're evil, but you need them, but God knows you need them too. So now he launches into this conversation about worry, then to time, and now time, this is about priorities. And then he says this, seek first his kingdom. It's a priority discussion. He said, you're spending your life in all of these things, but there's something that you should do first. God knows you need all these things. But he's describing a life where priorities are out of order, which is leading to a frantic striving. And in fact, the word he uses for seek first, the word seek is the same word that he used for the pagan striving. He says, listen, you can run after all of these things, desperately needing them. God knows you need them. Instead, run after the things of God. Strive after. If you're going to be desperate for something, don't be desperate for the stuff of life. Be desperate for the kingdom of God. And look at the promise. And all of these things will be given to you as well. What does that mean? You're going to get rich if you, you know, pray to God enough or whatever. He just, it's this way of saying, look, get the order of your life right and everything else will find its proper place. This is a priority discussion on time that Jesus is engaging with in his disciples. And we go, well, what is the kingdom of God? What does that mean to seek first the kingdom of God? Are we just supposed to pray all day or read my Bible all day or come to church seven days a week? Like, what is that? What does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, you know, the best answer to that is look at Jesus' life. You see, we don't just have Jesus' teachings. We have a record of how he lived. Because Jesus, it said, went everywhere preaching the kingdom and saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. It is in your midst. In other words, it's me. Watch my life. And so if we're trying to figure out, okay, you got me. I feel like my priorities are out of whack. I feel like I'm striving after all these things and I don't know how to stop. And Jesus is saying, no, no, it's not about not wanting those things. It's just about wanting something more than that. And if you do, all those other things will order. Okay, so how does that work? What does the kingdom of God look like? Look at the life of Jesus. And here's what we find about time in the life of Jesus and wisdom. That wisdom is about choosing time and using time. When it comes to time, wisdom is about choosing time and using time. If you look at the life of Jesus, this is what you will find. First of all, that he chose time. In other words, that this was not about minutes, but about margin. It's a word I don't know about in my schedule. It is about margin. Jesus chose time. It's so interesting. You read these four biographies. They are full of his activity. And think about this. This is the savior of the world who has come to fix all that is wrong with the world and redeem it all. And so the, the gospels are full of stories of him healing and preaching and teaching and travel. And yet one thing you note about the life of Jesus that actually drove some of his followers crazy was he never seemed to be in a hurry. Lots of activity, but no frantic hurrying. It wasn't like Jesus was doing something, going, someone comes and says, 
oh, my daughter's sick. Oh, no, what, like, what are we doing? I forgot to read. I thought, oh, I'll be back, okay? Just wait, you know, like running off, right? We just actually never hear that. In fact, sometimes people are like, uh, aren't you going to go? Like, what are you doing? Jesus is teaching all day, and the disciples are like, okay, time, wrap it up, let's go, we're hungry. And Jesus is like, well, let's get some food and eat here. And they're like, what? That's when he fed the 5,000, right? They're like, yeah, right. And it says he just stayed there to the end of the day. Other times, things are blowing up. It's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, this is amazing. Where, oh, Jesus, where'd you go? He's off somewhere praying by himself. They're like, what? You, you, this is, like, you're a rock star now, you can't just leave. And he's like, no, I, I need some time by myself. And in fact, you guys do, why don't you come with me? And we'll go away by ourselves for a while. One time, his best friend Lazarus is deathly ill. And he's dealing with something, and someone says, your, your friend Lazarus is, okay, now he's going to drop things. He stays, stays where he is three more days, and then goes to Lazarus. Now the time he's going on the way to help someone who's sick, and there's crowds of people around him. And then he stops and says, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, really? Like, this, this is a game? Like, who touched you? Everybody touched you. What, what is this about? And he stops, and he goes and has this one-on-one -on -one conversation with this individual. Over and over, we see Jesus, and you look at his life, and you step back and say, what marked your life? Frantic activity? No. There seemed to be a real ability in his life to choose margin, to stay, to linger, you know, he meets this guy, Zacchaeus, who clearly was a mess, and Zacchaeus wanted to meet with him, and Jesus is like, okay, well, I got 20 minutes now, so what do you got? He's like, oh, let's go to your house for dinner. Okay. We go, they go in, have a meal. We don't know how long. Comes out, Zacchaeus is a changed man. He wanted to eat with people. There wasn't just this teaching, this sort of wise old man, I got 10 minutes for you. It was a life that he's, you know, living with people, not rushing here and there. And so as we think about what is wisdom when it comes to how we use time, part of it is just beginning to learn to actually choose time. And think about this, that the Savior of the world did less than he could have done. He did less than he could have done. I read a book a little while ago um, by Greg McEwen called Essentialism, and the tagline of the book is, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. If you feel like this is one of those things that you need to, it's a great book. Thinking about Jesus saying he could have done more if he just worked harder and moved faster and had a bit of a more, you know, a better cadence to his schedule. But Jesus just chose not to do that. And so part of us as we think about our lives, as we begin to think in this way where in a sense we are a slave to the way time and culture views productivity, is the life of Jesus is saying part of wisdom is actually choosing to have time right? Think about money. The best choice about money is to have some to spare. We don't think about time like that. We think it's there to spend as soon as we get it. Wisdom is about choosing time, but it's also about using time. Um, and if you would permit me a little bit to poke you on this, because I, like I said, I'm in this with you. I think we are in a, a danger in a culture of over-investing in unimportant things or less important things and thereby under-investing in really important things. When we are so busy, we actually have no time to value the weight of what it is that we are spending our time on. We're just spending it. 
and as I said to you, you know, a couple years ago, we were talking about time. You need to think about time like money. You know, when they say if, if you're a person who's like racked up thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt, the most important dollar is the next one, which we don't do. You have $200,000 of debt, you think, what's the big deal? I need, like, at least I can have my $4 coffee to make me feel better about my $200,000 debt, right? And you know, when you, if you're ever going to pay people who have ever paid themselves out of debt, they start with the smallest one first because the next dollar is the most important one when you are in debt. And so when we are in a time debt, the most important dollar is the next one, the next hour, what we do with what comes next. And we are in a, in a place in life where we are over-investing in things that we are not valuating long enough to think about, should I be doing this? They said the average Canadian spends 30 hours a week watching television. Now, maybe that's on the high end. They say the average 18 to 24-year-old only watches TV 14 hours but spends 30 hours online. So I don't know what the numbers are for you, but that's a massive amount of time. That is an over-investment, if we can say that. The only thing that you'll do more than watching TV by those numbers in life, you're an average Canadian, is work and sleep. That's it. And we were talking about work. We said maybe that's one of the reasons we spend 80,000 hours in our lifetime on TV because we're spending 100,000 hours working at jobs that we feel like we don't love or are killing us. The point is there is an overinvestment. We now have so much media at our fingertips. And let's be honest, some of it is helpful. Some of it is just kind of a waste of time. Like some of it is an overinvestment in watching people kill each other, watching people swear at each other, watching people have sex with each other, watching people cheat at, on each other, watching people lie to each other. This is called drama, TV drama, right? So that is. There is an overinvestment in stuff which, let's be kind, that's just of lesser importance. Even if you want to say, look, it's really important to me to know and see my friend's beautiful vacation last week and all the pictures they took. Most of that stuff... If it's not a waste of time, it's not as important as other things in our lives that we actually say, I don't have time to do this. I say it takes about five hours all in to read a book, which if you just shaved a little bit off of that media time, you could read 52 books in a year. I don't know about you, I didn't read 52 books this year. There's an overinvestment in media. I also know just speaking to us as parents, we are overinvesting in our kids. And some of you kids are like, hey, that's not true. I don't know what you said, but it doesn't sound good. Like, I mean, I biked myself to my house league games. Like, nobody was there watching. I know my parents love me. I don't think they came to any of my games. I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, I could be at all their games. I gotta be at all their practices. And I gotta make sure they know I love them while I'm sitting on the bench. They don't know what I'm doing. They're out there for three and a half hours while I'm just by myself. I'm not actually with them. This is the idea that like, oh my gosh, we have to actually do this and I gotta make sure they get the right education. Why do I need to make sure they get the right education? Well, so they can get a good job. What's a good job? Well, so that they can get a, enough money back to wealth, back to of lesser importance. Really, is that the most important thing? And yet we are thinking the best thing I can do for my kids is make sure they know how to do, play six different sports and have three different skills and to make sure, and then everyone else starts to tell us, well, I'm doing it. Oh, I guess that just makes sense. I should do that too. We are over-investing. I often thought if I, you know, if, and, and we're in this reality as well, saying if someone said to me, oh, like, well, you know what, if, if you sent your kid to the church and they had youth group like three nights a week, four hours each time, and then three hours on Sunday, they're probably going to grow up to be a person of great character and follow Jesus one day. You'd be like, that's great, but I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to give up three nights a week plus every other weekend. I'm paying somebody else $10,000 to do that. Why would I do it with you? I'm going, yeah, that's kind of how we've started to, to view sports, activities, culture with our whole family. And we just kind of adopted it. And our family, we love sports. We just kind of grow into it. Sort of thinking, you know what? I thought, man, I'm putting a lot into my kids with the sports. And probably what I'm just making sure is that they're going to be great in their men's league one day. Okay, not that important. It's an overinvestment, guys. We are overinvesting in our homes. And I don't mean just like kind of trying, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about time. Like we went through a reno a few years ago. I could not believe how much time, and I'm not even the guy doing it. Some of you like actually have the skills to do this. How much time do you invest? Actually, when, you, when we went through it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, can't, I cannot look at any more pictures of taps or countertops or whatever. It's like, you know, you start down this road, the amount of time it swallows up. Just to, and at the end of the day, what I really need is the roof not to leak, heat in the winter, cool in the summer, you know, cold water, hot water. Other than that, I'm good. We have it. We invest in it, and it's not bad. Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows you need those things, but it's an over-investment. And then I don't know about you, but I'm always feeling like, man, I don't have enough time for the things that I want to. And say, okay, so what, how did Jesus use time? He didn't just choose it. He didn't just choose margin. How did he invest it? In relationships. Time with God and time for people. Time with God. I said to you, Jesus would regularly just step away from whatever he was doing, and he would be in prayer. And he had a big decision to make. He spent the night in prayer. When he saw that his disciples were getting too caught up in everything that was going on, he said, guys, we need to get away for a little while. We need to pray. And they said, okay, can you teach us to pray? When he was going into the greatest trial and the greatest crisis of his life, he went into the garden, the place that they would always go. That's how they knew where to find him when to betray him. Judas betrayed him because he's like, he's always in that garden. He's always praying in that place. That's where he always went greatest night of crisis in his life, he was praying throughout the night. He was choosing and spending his time with God, but also for others. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus' life. He was driven not by task, but by people. He chose to use time for people. He blessed them. He ate with them. He lingered with them. The person who touched him in that crowd, that story I was telling you about, was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, had never been healed. It's so funny because Mark, when he writes his biography, says it was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had went to many doctors and never healed him. Luke just says it was a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. You know why? He was a doctor. He didn't want to include the part about the doctors not being able to heal. It's like, we'll just leave that out. Anyways, Jesus stops and talks to this woman, Right? finds out about her story, finds out about her life. Isn't it interesting within, when the Savior of the world came to rescue the world? There are so many accounts of his conversations with people. And as you know, conversations take time. He, he was always surrounded by masses of people, but he would see individuals. There were people on the side of the road all the time calling out, begging. Like if you were sick, if you were crippled, if you were blind, there was no social services. There was no, until Jesus kind of changed the whole world and the church began to actually care for the sick and start hospitals. Before any of that, if you were sick or whatever, you just let out into the streets, you could hold, at least you could beg for some money. And there would be people yelling Jesus' name while he's walking by. And what would he do? He would stop. 
It was a constant, it was like, it was like horn honking, it was like the sound of stuff, and Jesus would hear people calling out, and he'd go and talk to them and say, what do you want me to do for you? He'd see people waiting around to get healed by this magic pool that they had there, whatever they thought that somehow if they could get in the water in time, he'd see a man, he goes over and talks to him. Always these conversations, individuals noticing people in the crowd. Jesus not only chose time, but he used it with God and for others. If we want to know what the kingdom of God looks like, what does it look like to seek God's kingdom first? What does it look like to take these things that so often drive so much of our time and say, okay, that's good, but it's not of most importance? And how do I begin to actually pursue the kingdom in my life? It is about time with God and time for others. The reason we choose time to have margin is so that we can spend it with God and for others. This is the kingdom life that Jesus lives out for us. And you read it. Read the, read the Gospels through this lens of just watching the pace and the value and where Jesus places his importance. Conversations, relationships, meals, interactions, one-on-one. So, have I disturbed you enough? Just welcome to my world. I had to study this this week, okay? I'm still processing through, God, what do you want me to do about this? But there were kind of three words of wisdom that I wanted to leave you with as it relates to time. Three words that I think if we need, they need to be in our vocabulary way more than they are. The first one is why. Now, I know as a kid, you were told, just stop asking why, okay? But then we stop asking why. As adults, we really need to ask that. And I say three times, like if you're thinking about your life, why am I doing this is a really important question. And when you give yourself the answer, ask it again. Yeah, but why do I believe that? Ask it again, yeah, but why is that so important to me? Usually by three times, you're going to get to the bottom and realize this is worthwhile or this is not worthwhile at all. The reason I'm doing this is because everybody else is doing it. Not a good reason. The reason I'm doing this is because I believe if I don't do it, I'm, I'm going to get fired or I, I'm going you know, to not get a promotion. Is that how promotions are given? If I just like, work harder than everybody else? Not a good reason. I'm not, like Jesus said, you're not trusting God. Right? Often, if, you, if you're a person of faith, you ask those three questions, you'll get to the bottom. There's some issue of lack of faith where you don't actually trust God to give you what you need, and so you are frantically pursuing it. Ask why. It's a really important question. The second one is no. Another word you were taught to stop using as you're a child, and then you just stop using it. But I don't know about you. In this book, Essentialism, he has a whole chapter on eight different ways to say no. Because we we're not good at saying no. We say yes, unthinkingly. And so we have all kinds of commitments that we have said yes to instead. And, and how many times have you said yes to something and right as you're going to it or right in the middle of it or right after you're going, why did I say yes to this? I should have said no. Some of you are so maxed out, you just start, that just needs to be the word you say automatically for the next three months. Anything, no, 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 sorry, no, no. And if you want nice ways to say it, I'm saying, sorry, my schedule doesn't allow it. Say, no, just throw someone else under the bus. You know, my doctor said I can. You know, my pastor said I can. My spouse said I can, you know. Don't use me in your arguments in your home, okay? I know, I know people do that. You've said, you've said that to me. You just need to say no. You are choosing time. It's not no so you can just be this cold person who just shuts down everything. It is no so that you can say yes. Some of you need to say no to begin to carve out time to stop long enough to go. You just need to say no to whatever it is you book next Friday so you can actually be home and think about the next month. You need to choose 
time. No is one of the most powerful ways to say that. Jesus is so interesting. You look at him, he just would not be controlled by other people's expectations. He just would not. He was kind. He was loving. He loves us all. Nothing can separate us from his love. But sometimes he said no. Sometimes that's the most loving thing. You need, sometimes you need to say that to your employer. Sometimes you need to say that to your kids. There's a word we think it's bad. We're going to mess them up. You're going to mess them up no matter what, okay? <laughs> Either way, 30 years from now, they're going to say, yeah, my dad, you know, I'm decided to come to terms with that. And so, okay, it doesn't mean I have to say yes to everything. Jesus was free from the compulsion and the expectations of others, free to love them and free to say no. And so for some of you, that's just the most important word you need to start using. And the third one is Jesus, because of course we get into sermon. Of course the third one is Jesus. It's a prayer, right? For some of you, the most important thing you can begin to do is to choose to have time with God regularly. Is to just begin your day saying, Jesus, I have more on this day than I can do today, so can you just cut some things out? Can you cancel stuff? I pray that all the time. It is giving your day to him. He's saying, God, you made the day with 24 hours, so if I'm trying to fit more in it than can hold, that means there's stuff on here that I'm not supposed to be doing, right? If you have more to do in a day, you're doing some stuff that God doesn't actually need you to do. Whoa, that's a really important conversation to have. Jesus, can you help me sort this out? Now, I don't know where you're at with this. I think it's just, it's for some of us, just one question we need to ask. Maybe it's just one of those things. Maybe it's the why, maybe it's the no, maybe it's the Jesus, wherever you're at. So that you begin to choose to have some margin and to begin to use your time with God and for others. Uh, I totally forgot we were going to do Q&A. Can we do five minutes? This is the problem, right? Just get going. Okay, I've only got one question that's come in so far. I've got a couple of my own, but this is what happens every time. One question comes in, literally almost every time. One question comes in, yeah, a second one just came in. Because now, as soon as I get up here, everyone just starts pouring in the questions. And then I don't have time to actually read them. Okay, so this first question, I'm not going to read it word for word. Because uh, it was a very uh, personally written one. But it, it's, it's getting at this idea of, um, like, how do we get out of this roller coaster? When I think there's so much in what you're saying. And what we're hearing in Jesus' words that we resonate with. We say, yes. So then, okay, for the next two weeks, I am all in. And this is all going to be about Jesus and the kingdom first. And then I crash because it's hard. And then we just kind of go on our way. And then we feel like God's distant and he's not near. He's not answering my prayers. And then, you know, some, then I get inspired again another month down the road. And it's, so how do we, like, live in a way that's, like, not this roller coaster up and down? How do we find some, like, consistent wisdom in moving down this road? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. How do we sustain this? I think yes. one of the most important discoveries for me in this journey was figuring out what fears were below the surface of my decisions, right? Like, I think it's always going to be a battle, and we're living in a culture that's constantly changing. And, but I think for me, the why question, starting to realize that I was driven often by fear, fear of, from when I was younger, it was just fear of missing out. 
you know, you get older, you like to think you grow out of that, but you don't. Like, this thing, like, what is motivating? Is there a fear in us that, you know, I won't be able to get this job, or I won't be able to buy a house, or I won't be able to, like, you know, keep a job, or I won't be able to, uh, you know, get someone to, to, you know, turn the head of the person I'm trying to get the attention of, or my kids won't have, like, any time, like, God does not bless decisions we make out of fear because he's not included in those, because we're just like, I don't know, I can't really trust you, I gotta do this. So I think part of the reason we do this exercise is to begin to know ourselves more and understand where we, which fears in particular are we most susceptible to. They're not the same for each other, which is why you can't compare your life to someone else. So I would say it's important to start it because you need to begin to understand yourself more. And you may trip and fall and you may find you get an overcrowded schedule again, but now you've learned about yourself going, wait, I don't need to say yes to that because I don't need to be afraid about that. So I think this is not about time management, it's more so about your heart with God. That's what Jesus is getting at. It's like you're living as if God isn't in the picture. And so I would say, um, the other one I would say is, Charles Duhigg in his, in his book, The Power of Habit, talked about keystone habits, that there are certain habits where if you say yes to those things, they have a catalytic effect on everything else in your life. One of those keystone habits in my life is, is daily time with God, beginning of the day. And this past fall, I realized I wasn't getting it all the time. And I would try to do it when I got in the office at 8.30, but then, like, stuff starts. So I just thought, I have to get up, like, an hour earlier. It was so painful for me. You don't know. I never liked going to bed early in my life. But just going, I need this. I cannot live without this. I have to get up an hour earlier if I want time with God. And I, I don't do it every day, but most days. And it started to just change how I'm approaching the day. So for some of you, it's actually identifying. So another one is exercise, a keystone habit that has a catalytic effect on other things. So I'd say first pay attention to what's going on in your heart, but secondly say, is there one thing? What's one thing that if I began to do would actually begin to have a ripple effect on the other things? Um, okay, this person asks, like they're trying to kind of make intentional kind of efforts to cultivate relationships with people, to spend time for people. Um, but that in itself can be overwhelming and demanding all our time too. So how do we find the balance in this stuff between, you know, that we the buzzword of self-care in this and even even in our time with God? How do we find the balance between that and to know how much we ought to give to spending time for others? Yeah. So uh, again, and, and we'll, we'll end with this one. Um, I um, I think that one of the things that I am learning is how do, I, how do I incorporate people into the things I'm already doing in life? Like, are there things, we talked about this visit reach conference yesterday, like, is there stuff that I'm doing that I can say, hey, come with me? Like, if you're someone that likes to work out and you go to the gym, is there someone that, in your life, that you want to invest in, you say, come with me? Someone who's maybe a little bit younger in their faith or younger in their journey or someone who's a bit older, you'd say, hey, can I, can I have some time with you to start to pull people into the things that you're already doing? And I would say, if you look at the life of Jesus, he mo invested most of his time in the 12, and then actually from the 12 to the 3. And so I think some of this is just kind of taking a step back and going, how many relationships can I actually sort of fully invest myself in? And this is the hardest thing to do, is to say no. It really is. But I think it's a journey of actually becoming more mature and saying, you know what, the reason I'm saying no is so that I can make a proper yes. Because what I started to realize is if I say yes to too many people, I'm not present in any of those relationships, then I'm not actually serving them or loving them at all. I'm watching the clock. I'm just kind of making a schedule and saying, no, I can't actually invest myself fully into so many people. So what, what, are, what is that circle that I can say, okay, these are the ones I'm saying yes to over a long period of time. And so that was one of the spiritual exercises I went through in a course I was at is spend some time away. This is why you need to choose time so you can actually think and ask God, God, who are the few people 
that you want me to begin to invest in in their lives. That's a conversation maybe for some of you to begin with God. I invite the worship team to just come up and lead us in response. But as we do that, you know, I know this is a conversation that I've started and stirred up and that maybe there can be a lot of guilt and confusion over. But it's interesting, right? In the passage, Jesus says, when he says, look at the birds of the air. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Like this whole time thing in your life, the reason Jesus is talking to us about this is because of the incredible value that you and I have as people. He's saying you're not like the rest of creation. You are more valuable than anything. And so getting this conversation right or started with you and God is about the value that God has in you and the way he sees you, not about productivity, but it's about who you are as a person. Let's pray and then we'll sing together. Jesus, whatever conversation you've started with us, Lord, just continue it. I pray that um, anything that I've said that's just not from you or doesn't need to stick with people, just kind of help us forget it. But whatever your spirit is doing in our hearts, just, just lead us. I thank you that you are not just someone who doles out advice and then sends us off to try to fix our lives, but you walk with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. You are present in all of our moments, in all of our minutes. And so we just thank you that this is a conversation that you are having with us. And Lord, we really want your wisdom in this area of our lives. And so we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen.